Today, as we've talked about, we're going to be looking at the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet. Um, and just, I want to review for a minute, because this is the last week we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments. So I want to review a couple of takeaways that hopefully you've had over the last 12 weeks as we've gone through these commandments. Uh, hopefully, if you've been listening, uh, you can better discern good from evil in your life. We have consciences which uh, have, are made by God and can discern good from evil, but often they're twisted and warped, and so the Ten Commandments helps us to do that. And then remember, the law is a mirror. So as we've gone through this, we've seen the law is a mirror, and that means when we look at the law, we see ourselves more clearly, and we can see, oh, I don't look as good as I thought I did. Um, and really, the law is a mirror. is really It's a two-for-one thing. It's, it's showing you that you're a sinner, and it's, it should make you run to Jesus. Hopefully, you've learned over the last 12 weeks, I cannot do this. I need a Savior. I need someone who can accomplish this on my behalf. The law is a mirror. It points us first to our own sin and then to Christ. And then the law is a map. The law is a map. It is your designer, the guy who created you, saying, this is how you live the good life. There's lots of visions out there for what the good life looks like. This is God's vision for the good life. Your creator's vision. So that's just by way of review. Hopefully you've taken that away and, and you can apply that in your life and in marriage, in relationships, um, in work, in rest, all areas of life, it applies to everything. <clears throat> well, let's read Exodus. We'll start um, in verse 13. Exodus 20, verse 13, and we'll read um, through verse 17. This is God's Word, and it was written um, in stone by His very finger on the top of Mount Sinai. You shall not murder... You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's word. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this. Um, Thank you for not leaving us, God, to wander the earth with just nothing but questions. Um, You have given us your word. You've given us your law. uh, It's useful. It's helpful. And it points us to Christ. Lord, I pray this morning as we look at the 10th commandment that we would fix our eyes on you. We would desire you more than anything else. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So America is the leading consumer nation in the world, and it's really not even close. Uh, I probably don't have to tell you guys this. It's it's not even close. We take take more stuff, we buy more stuff than any other nation um, per capita. It's unbelievable. One, just one example of this is that America, I read this past week, America is 3% of the world population, or 3%, and yet we we buy close to half of the world's toys. Over 40% of the world's toys are in our homes. And if you have kids, you're probably like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I feel that way. <clears throat> why, why do we buy so much stuff? Why are we so intent on consuming, consuming, consuming? Um, well, one reason is there's a, there's a marketing industry, a global multi-billion dollar industry. In 2020, it was a $350 billion industry. 
And by, um, by 2026, it's supposed to have doubled. So over the past six years, it will double, and there'll be a $700 plus billion industry dedicated to one thing, and that is tapping into your desires so, it can, so we can sell you stuff. That's what that marketing industry is going to do. And we know this, right? If you go to the movies, this, this is when, one of those times when it happens the, the most obvious. You're going to the movies, you sit down, and there's, a, there's an advertisement for Coke and for popcorn. And they have all the noises, and they're pouring it in the drink, and the popcorn's popping. And you're like, yeah, I, I want a popcorn. I know for 100% fact, I want a popcorn right now. I mean, that's just one example. You've got fitness ads, you walk, watch a fitness commercial, and you think to yourself, man, life would be better if I was just ripped. It would be so great if I was in great shape. You've got your clothing ads. Like, you will be beautiful and loved if you buy this dress. You will be beautiful and loved. Your car ads. It, when I have that truck, finally when I have that truck, I'm going to be driving through mountains. It's going to be great. It's, life will finally be fulfilled. But, but the, these promises, do they, do they actually hold water? Like, th- does it really happen? Well, it doesn't. We know this. But <clears throat> there's an article from the uh, American Psychiatrics Association. This is all the way back in 2004. So this is almost 20 years ago, but this is probably even more true today. And it, it summed up a study. It said this. Uh, compared with Americans in 1957... Today we own twice as many cars per person, we eat out twice as often, and enjoy endless other commodities that weren't around. Big screen TVs, microwave ovens, SUVs, and handheld wireless devices, to name a few. And yet, compared with our grandparents, today's young adults have grown up with much more affluence, more stuff, slightly less happiness, and much greater risk of depression and assortment of social problems. The disease of consumerism has thoroughly infected our culture. Consumerism is covetousness. It is what the Tenth Commandment is about. It's one of the forms. But it, doesn't, it does not satisfy our desires. We know this. I know if you have kids, you've bought them ten toys, a hundred toys, a thousand toys. But Zoe's one more toy. And it leads us, it leaves us feeling lonely, empty, isolated. Our, our covetousness is a huge problem. We, we want what we don't have, and it's ruining us. It destroys us, it eats us from the inside out. So as we look at the 10th commandment today, we're going to be asking this question. I think I printed it in the outline. What will satisfy your desires? You have desires. I have desires. We all have desires. What will satisfy them? And you'll see three points there. First, not what you covet. If we're going to understand this commandment, first we need to understand what exactly does God mean when he says covet? What's the, um, the, the original meaning of this word covet in the Bible? Uh, I'll def- I'm going to give a definition, and then I'm going to kind of walk through um, each word of that definition and unpack what it means to covet. And really what I'm doing is just unpacking the Tenth Commandment. C- to covet is ungoverned, selfish desire for something that doesn't belong to you. Ungoverned, selfish desire for something that doesn't belong to you. Okay, first, ungoverned. What does that mean? 
Well, this desire within us goes unchecked. It's usually invisible. You, you probably don't realize that you're coveting. I often don't realize that I'm coveting. So it goes unchecked. It goes unnoticed. And it slowly grows like a cancer in your soul. We want more, more, more. That's why God, you notice how in the commandment, he says, house. And he could just stop there. He, said, he could just have just said, you shall not covet. But he's like, I know that you want more and more and more. And it just keeps going and going. So he says, house, wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey. Or then he just says, or anything that is your neighbor's. Covetousness always wants more. As soon as it gets something, we've already forgotten that we ever wanted that thing and we're on to the next thing. It's ungoverned. It's ungoverned selfish. A covetous man, he never stops to consider what the consequences will be for fulfilling his desire. Consider uh, David. Consider David when he looked upon Bathsheba. You know the story from 1 Samuel 11. He looked upon Bathsheba, and this is, I'll just read it to you from 1 Samuel 11. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And then the, the people come back and say, hey, this is Uriah's wife. This is like one of your, your best friend's wife. You think that would stop him, but he... Next thing, he says, David sent messengers, took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. You see, all that was in David's sight was the beautiful woman that he saw and his own desire. He didn't consider the fact that he was king and that this would have ramifications for the nation. He didn't think about Uriah. He didn't think about Bathsheba. He didn't think about his own kids and this, the example that that would set for them. He thought about one thing and one thing only, his own desire, and satiating that desire. You see, we think, we think evil happens when we have this hateful attitude building up in our heart. But covetousness is very subtle. You don't need to think anything negative about anyone. You don't need to hate anyone to do what David did. You simply need to forget about them. The covetous person just forgets about others. It never stops to think. It, it forgets that others exist. Think of Eve in the garden. She sets her eyes on the fruit and she sees that it's desirable. That's the same word, the same word in Hebrew that this word, covet. I like, it looks good. It looks like it's going to taste good. It's going to make me wise. She doesn't think about the consequences for us, for humanity, for her relationship with God. Satan doesn't need you to be hateful. He doesn't need to make you hate others. He just needs you to forget about others. And that's exactly what covetousness does. Let's keep unpacking this definition. Ungoverned, selfish desire. Okay, you might ask the question, okay, so is desire a bad thing? Should I just not desire anything? Does God want me to just go hungry my whole life? Well, wanting to have something is not a bad thing in itself. God gave us desires. It is right for a single man to desire a wife, a married man to desire his own wife. It's right for a sick person to want to be healthy. 
There's so many things that, so many good desires, I, I can't name them all, but the Bible has a lot to say about desires. Matthew 5, chapter 6, uh, chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They hunger and thirst, they desire to be righteous. 1 Timothy 3.1, we're about to go through elder and deacon nomination. 1 Timothy 3.1 says, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. You should desire that. It's a good thing. Desire that. Proverbs 31.16, this is the proverbial woman. She considers a field and she buys it. She, says, she looks at a field, she says, I want that field. It looks like a good field. I'm going to buy that field. <clears throat> It's not desire in itself that's wrong. It is the ungoverned, selfish desire. And then finally, it's ungoverned, selfish desire for something that doesn't belong to you. We covet what's not ours. We want stuff that we don't have. This is kind of obvious. It's almost like a truism. This is why uh, God repeats three times in this commandment. Look, he says it three. It's very repetitive. Your neighbor's house your neighbor's wife, or anything that is your neighbor's. He's saying, that's not yours. That is not yours. I have given that to someone else. I've given you other things. You should be content with those. That's for someone else. This is profoundly helpful in in combating covetousness. Um, that, That is not my wife. That's someone else's wife. I have a wife to love that God gave me. How does this apply, this unpacking of covetousness? Well, what is the one thing that you think, when, you, when I get that, when I get that, I will be content. When I get that one thing, finally I'll be happy. Life will be good. I'll be satisfied. What is that one thing for you? It could be money, it could be a car, it could be respect. It could be when your kids grow up, or when your spouse grows up. It could be healthy relationships, it could be your own health, it could be fitness, there's so many things. I want to ask you another question, that is, what is something that you used to desire, say 10 years ago, that you now have? I was reflecting on this a lot this past week, and it was, it was interesting to think back 10 years ago and to think how I longed to be married, how I longed to have children, how I longed to own a home. And God has one by one given me these things, and yet inside of me is, is bubbling up this desire for more. And I can, I can look back and see, and see to myself, if, here's the reality. If you are not content today with what you have today, you will not be content in the future. Contentment is a, is a state of your heart. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. What worldly thing have you set your desire on? We all have something or multiple things. And I'm here to tell you today that it will not satisfy you. You will not be satisfied when you get financially stable. You will not be satisfied if you get in great shape. You will not be satisfied 
when your kids grow up and move out of the house. You won't be satisfied when your spouse finally grows up, if they do. Not when you go on vacation. Not if you have one more cup of coffee. Not if you get that promotion. Whatever it is that you are coveting, that you have set your heart on, it will not ultimately give you what you are asking it to give you. It will not give you the satisfaction that you're looking for. You don't have to take it from me. Take it from a guy, King Solomon, who had everything. He talks exactly about this in the book of Ecclesiastes, which, by the way, I think is my favorite book of the Bible. If you're a cynic, go read Ecclesiastes. It's just a great place to be very cynical. Listen to this. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. This is King Solomon. If you don't know, he's the wisest, richest, maybe he was handsome, I don't know, but he had all the girls you could possibly want. Um, And This is what he says. I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy what is good, but it turned out to be futile. I increased my achievements, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. This is career. He's talking about, look, if you want a great career, I had one. I was king and I I ruled like a boss. He goes on, I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. You think money's going to make you happy? I had money. More money than anybody else, maybe ever. He goes on, I gathered male and female singers for myself. Entertainment. He's got all the entertainment you could want. And many concubines, the delights of men, unlimited sex. That's what that means. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. Respect. He had the respect of everyone in Jerusalem. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Listen to Solomon. Do not chase after the wind. Whatever you've set your heart on, it will not satisfy you. And this brings us to the second point. What will satisfy your desire? And really, this second and third point are really one big point. Only contentment and only in Christ. And I really, what I want to do now is just examine the fruit of covetousness. What happens when we live a life of covetousness? And we all do. We all do. I just tell you, I examine, I can at least speak for myself and say, I covet a lot. 
And it's a heart. It's a posture of your heart. Now, as we've gone through the Ten Commandments, we've seen many times that when God gives us a, a negative command, the, uh, the opposite, the positive command, is implied. So in this case, you shall not covet. That means God is also saying, hey, you need to be content with what you have. Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is very important. Contentment only comes to those who know God ordains what we have. It only comes to those who know that what they have, they have because God has given it to them. And what other people have, those people have it because God has given it to them. They have an understanding that God is in charge. It's not an accident that your neighbor has a Tesla and you don't. Okay, that's, that's God. He, he made that ultimate decision. Contentment also, in order to be content, you need to know that God is still with you. You need to know that just because you lack something, it does not mean God has abandoned you. So I just want to go through three categories and kind of paint a picture of what a covetous man looks like and what a content man looks like. And as I do this, I want you to examine your own heart and your own life. And also, I want you to fall in love with contentment in the Lord because it's a good thing. It really is a good thing. And I'm just sort of pulling from Scripture and from um, my own experience to, to flesh out what does it look like to be a covetous man versus a content man. First, uh, their relationship with work and rest. Okay, a covetous man is a slave to his own desires. So he's either a lazy glutton, when his desire, but when his desires are met, right? he's, he's gluttonous, he's, he's taking everything he can, but when that feeling fades, he, he can't take his mind off work. He feels the crack of the whip at his back. He has to work, work, work so he can satisfy those desires. As the Bible says, his God is his belly. In contrast, the contented man, he works heartily for the Lord, and then he rests well. And he knows that God will take care of all his earthly needs so that he can pursue his relationship with the Lord. His ultimate desire is not for the things. His ultimate desire is for God. And so God makes him content. Relationships. What does it look like as we engage in relationships? Well, the covetous man, is he's lonely. Covetousness automatically leads you to loneliness. And here's why. If you're covetous, when someone gets a raise, you... You're, you're upset. You think, well, why didn't I get a raise? I want a raise. When someone gets fired, you're kind of happy. You're like, oh, good. Good, good, good. This means I'm a step above them. <clears throat> so someone suffers, he takes delight in it. Someone uh, gets something good, he, he suffers. And this drives the covetous person into isolation, Right? You're, you're at the opposite of everyone else around you because when, they, when good things happen to them, you can't celebrate with them because you want what they have. He sees everything in his life as a product to be consumed. 
and his relationships are shallow and driven by personal gain. And this means he's deeply lonely. The contented man. The contented man rejoices with those who rejoice, and he weeps with those who weep. If you're friends with this guy, you're blessed, right? When you're suffering, his heart is suffering with you. When you get a raise, it's almost he's as happy as if he got the raise. He says stuff like, I really want that for you. And of course, this pulls him deeper and deeper into relationships, right? Pulls him deeper. He has real, lasting friendships that make his life rich and fulfilling. And finally, the inner life. The inner life of a covetous man. What is it like? Well, the, the inner life of a covetous man, here's what I want you to really reflect on your own, because I don't know what's going on inside your heart. It's a roller coaster between anger, fear, and fleeting pleasure, right? I'm either getting what my heart desires, I'm getting this fleeting pleasure, or I'm, I'm, I'm angry that I'm not, or I'm afraid that I won't. He only sees what he doesn't have, and he's incapable of being thankful for the blessings in front of him. And anger is slowly building up below the surface, and the smallest setback towards his desire will set him off. In contrast, the contented man, he feels a sense of peace and thankfulness for what he has. When suffering comes, it still hurts, still hurts, but he retains a sense of peace in the midst of it. The Bible describes this in Psalm 1, he's like a tree planted by a stream. When a drought comes, he has water. He's right there by the stream. When a storm comes, his roots are deep. He's not blown over. I want to read another passage. I read the Solomon, and now this is Proverbs chapter 31. This is a picture of a content woman, of what a content woman looks like. This is the proverbial woman. Proverbs 31, verse 10 and following. This is a woman who knows God and knows that God is with her. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax with her and works with eager hands. You hear how she's a hard worker. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand... She holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength 
and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also. And he praises her, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This woman is is a woman who has found her joy, her hope, her desires fulfilled in God. Are you content? Are you satisfied? Would you like to be? I would. This brings us to our third point. What will satisfy your desires? I have such good news for you all today. I have good news for you. God did not make you with desires just to deny you of those desires. That feeling of ultimate satisfaction you are looking for, it is real, it is free, and it is Christ. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Why are, why are desires so insatiable? Why, are they, why is it that we constantly have to return more and more and more and more? Because there is a God-sized hole in our heart. And when we try to fill it without God, it never works. It never works. The whole entire world is looking to satisfy their desires. The whole world. If you look at what, what everyone in this world is doing, they're looking to do one thing. They have a desire and they want to be satisfied. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, there is no lasting satisfaction apart from God. Please give up trying to find satisfaction elsewhere. God is what you were made for, and apart from Him, without Him, you will never be satisfied. Christian, please remember your first love. Please remember your first love. Remember that the satisfaction that you are looking for, it can only be found in God. The African Bishop Augustine famously prayed, In his confession, he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You see, this feeling of satisfaction that we're we're working for, we're going for, it is a gift of God. That feeling of satisfaction that we all long for, it is a gift that can only come from God. And it can only come through Christ. Christian, you have to realize that you alone in this world have the ability to be content. Now, not in, a, in, in this life, we will never be fully, completely satisfied because we are still sinners. We still have indwelling sin. 
and we're separated. We have, there's distance between us and God. But, but when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have a real relationship and real contentment that we can have in this life. And ultimately, we will find our complete satisfaction, complete contentment, the desires of our heart, the, the bliss in the life to come. When we no longer see the Lord dimly, but we see Him face to face. Face to face. There's a famous hymn uh, by Horatio Spafford, It is well with my soul. And you may remember Nathan, a few months ago, told us the story of how that hymn was written. Well, I'll remind you the story. It's a, it's a great story. Horatio Spafford, he was a successful attorney and investor. And in the Chicago fires of 1871, he lost a fortune. The city basically burned to the ground. And around that same time, his four-year-old son, his only son, died of scarlet fever. So thinking his thinking a vacation would be good for his family, he sent his wife and his four daughters across the, across the pond to England. And they all, all four of his daughters would die on the way there in a, in a shipwreck. His wife was the lone survivor. When he heard the news, he immediately set sail for England. And as they passed over the spot where his daughters had died, the captain called him and said, look, we're going over the spot. And he, he penned there the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. As he's wrestling with his loss, he wrote these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How could a man, a man like this, who lost everything, his fortune, his kids, how could he say, it is well with my soul? I want that. I want what he has. Well, he tells us. He tells us in the, in the next verse. He says, my sin. And then he pauses. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Spafford understood that what he desired, the satisfaction that he desired, could only be found in relationship with God. And he understood that the only thing standing between him and that God and his satisfaction was his own sin. And so he looks at the cross. And even as he looked at his great losses, he knew that there was nothing that could undo the finished work of Christ. No matter what happened, he would be with God and he would be content. So I say to you, Christian, please stop chasing the wind. Delight yourself in the Lord. 
Christ, by his sacrifice, by his death and his resurrection, has made a way for you to be content. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Let me pray. God, this is good news. It is very good news. It's shockingly good news, Lord. Um, What we want, what we want so bad, Lord, we want to be satisfied. You have already won it for us. It's free. We get a taste of it now by your Holy Spirit. We get a taste of it, a seal of the promise to come. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we will get to ultimately look on your face as you smile upon us because of the finished work of Christ. Lord, please help us to delight ourselves in you. I pray this in Jesus' name.